Hey there, Happy New Year's. My name is Roy and I'm the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. And we're glad today that you've joined us for the first part of our brand new series for 2022. Can you believe it's 2022? Well, back in the 1800s, an author named Charles Sheldon wrote a book called In His Steps. And the book had a subtitle, What Would Jesus Do? Now, in the 1990s, that phrase sort of reemerged amongst Christians, sort of as, as their life motto. It became a phrase that Christians filtered their lives through. Like, if I have a, a decision to make, what would Jesus do? I mean, I have a situation that I'm facing right now, what would Jesus do? And it seemed like when I was in, back in high school, every Christian had one of these bracelets that said WWJD, which was a reminder when, when we're faced with a, a situation or a decision, well, what would Jesus do? facing the same decision. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be working our way through this series. It's called, What Would Jesus Actually Do? We're going to be looking at the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, and we're going to be looking at what he actually did, not what we think he should have done, not what we want him to do, but what he actually did. Because the goal for us is to become more like Jesus. And to become more like Jesus, we need to understand how Jesus, what he would actually do. The problem with this question, what would Jesus do, is you have to be honest with yourself. Because we often can take a situation and we can add our own spin to what Jesus would do. I remember talking to a guy uh, years and years ago and as a, as a, when I was a newer Christian. And he was this young guy and he was genuinely wanting to follow Jesus with his whole entire heart. And I remember him saying once he was trying to decide whether he was going to buy a very state-of-the-art sound system for his home. You know, the kind that's really expensive and it shakes the walls like you just, it, it, it knocks the, the pictures off the wall. And this one he was looking at was really, really expensive. And now, let's give him some credit before I kind of finish the story. He was seeking God's will or he wanted to know what God would want for him in this type of decision. Most of us never seek God's, God's uh, will in, in our decisions or purchases. So he told me he was praying to God and he was wanting to know the answer to the question well, of this series. What would Jesus do? And given the same situation, what would Jesus do? Should he excessively spend the money on this thing that he really wanted? Well, the problem is nowhere in the Bible, you can go back to the index and you can look up sound systems. And you're not going to find anything in the Bible that will tell you specifically here's the decision you need to make when it comes to uh, buying a sound system. But he felt like Jesus would have bought the sound system because though when he played his worship music through the sound system, it would have came alive and maybe, I don't know, make his worship a little more alive. Uh, apparently he skipped over the parts where Jesus actually taught on excessive spending and, and on what we should do with our finances when it comes to the responsibility of those that are in need. But that's the problem. Many of us aren't honest enough to answer the question, what would Jesus do? WWJD, we would rather seek the answer of WWWJTD. What would we want Jesus to do? Now, a couple decades ago, I was playing basketball in a men's recreational basketball league. And on this particular night, three of the boys that I had been coaching at the school came to watch me play. And I don't know if it was that I just wanted to impress them. Um, with my play and that that added pressure or not, but I just wasn't playing very well Just it seems like I couldn't hit a shot it just seemed like everything just was not going my way and to make matters worse It felt like 
The referees were out to get me that night. And so in one particular play, I grabbed the ball and I dribbled to the hoop and, and the defender fouled me. He swiped at the ball, missed the ball completely and slapped my arm. And the slap was so loud it echoed through the gym. And I looked over at the referee and nothing, nothing, no call, nothing. The only call was that because I touched the ball last and the ball rolled out of bounds, that the ball was now awarded to the other team to throw in. Well, this was the third time that night that I felt like the referee missed a, a very blatant call, foul call. And I was already frustrated and it just seemed to all boil over in that moment. Now, normally, I have a very long fuse when it comes to any anger, but I picked up the ball and I threw the ball as hard as I could I, where, to the top of the, the roof, the, the ceiling, where the ceiling met the wall of the gym. And instantly the referee made one of these motions, which is a technical foul. It was a foul for unsportsmanlike conduct, and I was sent off and, and warned that a second foul of that nature would have me removed from the building. I was instantly embarrassed. Embarrassed to act that way in front of my teammates, my opponent, the referees, but especially the three young men that had come to watch me play. I mean, perhaps Luke 6.29 would have saved me the embarrassment if someone slaps you on one cheek or arm, offer the other cheek or arm also. In the moment, when I thought, what would Jesus do? The only thing, I, the only thing that seemed to come through is a, I, I could relate to the table-flipping, uh, whip-cracking Jesus that we see in the temple, but that was not an appropriate response in the moment. Often we ask, what would Jesus do? But we filter that with what we want Jesus to do. And the reason we're calling this series, What Would Jesus Actually Do? is because we don't always like what Jesus would actually do. We like what we want Jesus to do. So often in North America, we've created a North American kind of Jesus that sort of does what we want him to do, not a crucified, risen Jesus. In Genesis chapter 1, God created the world... In Genesis chapter 2, God creates humans. And it says that the humans were created in the image of God, but we have this tendency to recreate a God in the image of us. Because let's, let's face it, we all have our own ideas. We all have personal preferences. We all have theories. We all have ideas of how things should be. But we were never created to impose our theories and preferences on God. We were called to follow him. So over the next few weeks, my challenge is for us to lay down our wants, lay down our preferences, even our ideals, and seek Jesus for who he actually is. To do what he actually would do. To be able to say, Jesus, I surrender my life and allow you to infiltrate every part of me and allow your Holy Spirit to lead me to live the way you would actually want me to live. See, in that moment that I lost my composure... This burst of rage kind of came out. And instantly I felt regret, embarrassment, shame. And as I sat down on the bench, afraid to look up at the three boys that came to watch me play, I wondered, where did that come from? That's not me. I don't even know where that came from. But the truth is, if it came out of you, it was in you. 
I mean, we've seen numerous high-profile uh, celebrities get called out for making racist or hateful remarks in the last number of years. And either what they've said verbally was, was caught or maybe something that they wrote in a, a social media post. And, and often we'll, we'll find them spewing some sort of racial slur or even in anger. Sometimes when they're intoxicated and after the person will always say, well, that's not me. That's, that's not who I am. I, I don't think like that. I don't behave like that. But the problem is it can't come out if it wasn't in there to begin with. If it comes out of you, it was in you. I remember when I was a, when I was a child, my family, I have family from Ireland and they came to visit on vacation. And as a group, we went out one night to... Um, dinner at the local Chinese buffet. And, and I remember my uncle sat down to eat his beef stir fry and he, he stopped because he had, had this weird look on his face. And I remember him saying, he tasted nicotine. And upon closer examination, inside his beef stir fry was a cigarette butt. Just nasty. Well, we called over the waiter, the waiter, and, and showed him at first. And he tried to explain it couldn't have come from the food, but but it did. And he tried to explain that they didn't put it in. And I'm sure they didn't do it deliberately. But the only way for something to come out, even something embarrassing, is that it had to be in there in the first place. You see, my reaction when I, as I sat there during that basketball game was, this isn't me. But that burst of anger, it was in there the whole time. So there's a lot of things in our life that we carry with us. And if we're not careful, we push it down and we push it down and then something happens and it surfaces. Well, today we're looking at how Jesus dealt with forgiveness. And maybe you're carrying unforgiveness. Maybe this unforgiveness is from your past and you've got good reason for it. Or maybe this, it's very recent. Maybe it's from this past week. Many of us spent time with extended family. For some of you, that is a highlight of your year. But for some of you, someone said something this last week. Someone implied something. Someone did something to upset you, to offend you, to hurt you. And if you're honest, it's been a week and you're still thinking about it and you're still holding on to it. And if you hold on to it too long, you will have a moment and it will come out of nowhere where you will lose your temper. You may cry uncontrollably. You may snap at someone and it will be for something insignificant. But you will wonder... Where did that come from? In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching in what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is teaching his audience about how they should pray, but specifically how you should respond to the issue of pain and offense. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Pray like this, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Now, if you don't recognize it, you're like, ah, I know this, but in a different way. Um, this is the New Living Translation version, and you might know as our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is just a little bit updated, updated language. Truth is, a lot of you don't even know what hallowed is anyway. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Now, verse 12, this last one that we just read, is the one that we're going to be focusing on. Jesus says, pray to your Father for forgiveness. But there's also a responsibility for you to forgive those who sin against you. And then verse 13 is a verse about the temptation, but the next verse is big. 
And the next verse is not part of this prayer, but it's in light of the prayer. It says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And Jesus says, it's, it's not okay for you to walk through this life holding on to a grudge. It's not okay for you to walk through this life holding on to pain, holding on to contempt, holding on to offense. It's not okay. And I, and I think many times we hear a message like this about forgiveness, because some of you have been Christians a long time. You've heard a lot of messages about forgiveness. And, and we start to think, well, okay, I get it. I get it. I mean, it's a noble idea. And I know deep down it's probably for my best, but, but Pastor Roy, you have no idea. You have no idea. You have no idea what I've been through. You have no idea of the abuse. You have no idea of the betrayal, the abandonment, the broken promises, the misuse of authority. You have no idea what I've walked through. See, some of us are still carrying unforgiveness towards people. But let me add this. Some of us are even carrying unforgiveness towards God. Because you and I have this idea of how things should go, or how our life should go, or how a situation should go, and it didn't happen that way. Your prayer wasn't answered in the way that you thought it should. Not if you were God. And holding on to unforgiveness, or choosing to stay offended, or hurt, what it does is it gives us a, a false sense of control. Control that was taken away from us by the offender. Because we think if we hold on to this, now I control things. But over time, it turns out that what you thought was control was actually the bars to your own personal prison. Holding on to an offense never hurts the offender. It allows the pain to continue to keep hurting you. Pastor and author C.S. Lewis once said, everyone says that forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have someone or something to forgive. Some of you have some big things to forgive. But choosing to hold back forgiveness is like standing in a prison cell with the keys in your hand to release you and choosing not to open the cell door. So how do we do this? How, how, do, we, how do we seek forgiveness? How do, how do we forgive when it's, it was so hard? Well, here's three thoughts for today. The first one is found in the prayer that Jesus just showed us. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Pray like this, our Father in heaven. And the way Jesus begins this prayer implies something. Our Father implies that we have a Father. That we, us, it's family language. We share a common Father. That makes us brothers and sisters. We are family. Family act towards each other different than strangers. So the first one is this. Think like we not like me. Yes, it's true. We have a personal relationship with Jesus, but there's also a we component that was dear to the Father's heart. A chapter earlier in this message, Jesus was teaching, and he says something about forgiveness in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. He says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there, there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. There's that family language again. If your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift here in front of the altar, First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. And Jesus says it's like this. If you show up to church and you've brought your offering, your, your financial gift with you, that you're giving to God to, to advance his kingdom, but you're holding on to unforgiveness in your heart, you're better to leave 
your money. You better keep your money. Because that financial sacrifice isn't going to, going to make things right with God. And sometimes we think we can do that. We can just throw money at God and that'll make our relationship between him and I, that'll be good, good enough. He said, you'd be better to go and offer forgiveness, then come back and offer your gift, and then it will be received. Because as Jesus teaches after the Lord's Prayer, your Father will forgive you, but not if you're not willing to forgive others. Not if you're not willing to forgive your brothers and sisters. You will not be offered the same thing you aren't willing to offer. We need to think like we, not like me. The second one is is very hard as well. When it comes to forgiveness, we need to pray for our offender. And not in a vindictive, oh, I'll be praying for your soul. Or not a dear God, I pray they get a nasty rash that never goes away. Not that kind of prayer. But in a genuine, humble place of really wanting the best for them. I told you this was hard. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 says, this is Jesus talking. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's what you're thinking. <laughs> okay, Jesus. When I asked you, what would you do? I kind of came to the conclusion that you, were just, you would just ignore the pain and you would ignore the, the people that caused the pain. See, I'm not seeking revenge, right, Jesus? Because that's what you wouldn't seek revenge. So I'm just going to pretend that the thing didn't happen and then I'll just unfriend them on Facebook quietly. And I'll just, I'll just kind of give them the cold shoulder. I won't be confrontational because that wouldn't be very Christ-like. I'll just just kind of give them the cold shoulder. Just kind of ignore them. But Jesus, Jesus has this way of making us uncomfortable and stretching us. And he challenges us to actually pray for the ones who persecute us. Now, your prayer may or may not change the person that offended you. But it will most likely change you. Forgiveness will always set someone free. And sometimes, in the best case scenarios, it's the offender. But you don't get to choose their response. But forgiveness will always set you free. Forgiveness feels like you're letting them off the hook, but it always lets you off the hook. The question is, why would you carry this anger and pain and hurt with you for the rest of your life? Why would you want to do that? Here's the last one, number three. And this one might be the hardest. We need to choose forgiveness. We need to choose forgiveness. Forgiveness is a choice. I can't forgive for you. Your spouse can't forgive for you. Your, your parents, your friends, they, they, can't, they can't forgive for you. You need to choose forgiveness. And not just one time, it's an everyday choice. You need to wake up each morning and choose, I'm going to walk in freedom. I'm not going to allow something someone said or something someone did. I'm not allowing anyone else to have a say in how free I am. That's my choice. That's between God and I. Paul was writing to the church in Colossae. And he wrote this letter with advice on forgiveness in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And he didn't, he says, don't just forgive, but forgive to the same measure of which you've been forgiven. Now let's be real for a moment. How much have you been forgiven? Everything. All of your sin, all of your shame, 
all of your guilt, all of the poor choices that you've made, that story you don't like to tell, like throwing a basketball off the roof, everything. You've been forgiven of everything. Now, in the same measure, we're commanded to forgive as forgiven people. Pastor Andy Stanley put it this way. In the shadow of my hurt, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. In the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is a gift that I can choose to hold on to or I can choose to give. But I can't ask for forgiveness if I'm not willing to offer it myself. Have you ever seen sitting water? Choosing not to forgive can be like a beaver building a dam. And when a beaver builds a dam, it stops water from flowing. It holds it back. And when it holds it back, it sits. And sitting water becomes nasty and toxic and putrid. Some of you need to open the dam. Let the junk out that's been sitting for such a long time. And forgiveness is the way to do that. You can't control if people accept your forgiveness or not. But you can choose to be free. Open up the dam. Holding a grudge. Holding in your pain. Hanging on to forgiveness doesn't make you strong. It makes you bitter. And that bitterness becomes toxic. You've seen people like that. that have been holding a grudge a long time. And they're never happy people. In the same way, forgiving, forgiving someone doesn't make you weak. It makes you free. Now up to this point, we've talked about what Jesus said. He said, pray for your offender. He said, forgive those who sin against you. This is what Jesus said, and, and it all sounds good in theory. But the series is about what Jesus would actually do. And so the question is, can he back up the words? Oh, he backed up the words all right. Luke 23, Jesus is about to be crucified. The same, people, the same people who hours earlier were shouting Hosanna, who were worshiping and shouting his name in adoration, have now turned on him. The same ones who worshiped him now want him crucified. And Jesus is beaten beyond recognition and he's nailed to a cross. Verse 32 says, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. And when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. So you have Jesus here, the perfect Lamb of God, the light of the world in a very dark world. And on either side of perfection, we see two of the worst that humanity has to offer. And all three are sentenced to the same death. Now, I want you to imagine this for a moment. Pretend that you've been sentenced for a crime that you did not commit. Sentenced alongside Two people who admit they did commit atrocious crimes. And it's your last moments. You've been betrayed. You've been mocked. You've been spit on. You've been brutally beaten. What are your last words? What would you use the last gasps of your breath to say? I know what mine might have been. And while I wish they'd be words of grace and love after hearing what was done to Jesus... I fear there wouldn't be any grace attached to them at all. But look at what Jesus says. And not just what he says, look at what he does. Verse 34 says, Jesus, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And all the time he was in pain. 
while the sting of betrayal was fresh, while the searing pain of the cross caused him to gasp for his breath. Now this phrase, Jesus said, is the proper translation from Greek to English. <clears throat> but the word that is used here for said, the word said, Jesus said, is a little more complex. It's thought to meant kept saying. There's a very good chance Jesus kept repeating this phrase, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What would Jesus actually do? He would forgive. What did Jesus actually do? He forgave. The only thing that can come out of something is something that was inside the whole time. See, over the past 13 years as a pastor, I've learned a little bit about people. You don't always see people's true colors. And even though I'm just a regular human, people want to put this best face on around pastors for whatever reason, as if I'm not flawed too. But people's true colors always emerge when things don't go their way. When they don't get what they want or think they deserve more, people's true colors always come through. And sometimes that's for the good. Sometimes their true colors are actually grace and forgiveness and mercy and compassion. But unfortunately, sometimes you see the other side of a person when they don't get their own way. They become vindictive and spiteful and, and nasty. But either way, what comes out was in there the whole time. Jesus' true colors come out. He's betrayed. He's beaten. He's mocked. And what we see emerge what was what was inside him the entire time. Grace, love, forgiveness, and compassion. What would Jesus do? He would forgive. Martin Luther King once said, Forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a constant attitude. What would it look like if you chose forgiveness in your life? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. For the small, insignificant slight, or for the large offense that I just can't seem to get past that's tripped me up for years, I choose to live a life of forgiveness. What would Jesus do? Forgive, even when it's hard. Why? Because he created you to live a life that is free. That's what he wants for you. And he didn't just teach it. He did it. Let's pray together. Father God, it's, it's hard. And, and I don't want to downplay what anyone has gone through because some of the, the stories, you know them, uh, are atrocious. But unforgiveness doesn't hurt the offender. It only hurts us. It keeps us imprisoned. And you never meant for us to live a life that is caught up in in contempt and anger and, and, and just to feel trapped at all times. You, you, you created us to live a life that was free. And so today, God, I'm praying for the person out there that has been having a hard time letting go, having a hard time, of, having a hard time forgiving uh, that person that hurt them because perhaps they feel like they're letting that person off, but God, 
you know that you, you modeled forgiveness for us. Because ultimately you knew that was what was going to set us free. And ultimately the way that, that, that we respond in those situations says so much about your heart. And so we asked that question, what would your son Jesus do? And we saw what he did when he was pressed in from all sides. He forgave. So give us the courage today to forgive. Give us the courage to be able to reach out and forgive even when it's hard. And let us have the trust in you that you will deal with the situations that we wish we could have revenge in. And yet you will deal with our heart and start to heal what has been damaged. God, we love you and we, we leave it in your hands. Amen.